Thank you, musicians, uh, for leading us in worship and the sound desk for organizing everything and people who work so hard behind the scenes to make the Sunday just happen. Don't happen by magic, but there are people who work behind it to make it happen. So thank you, everyone, for making this happen. One of our friends this week uh, went for COVID testing. They came in close contact with someone, so they had to go for testing. So they stood in the queue, and after two hours, they called us up and they said, we are still in the queue, and they took a photo from the rearview mirror, a long line of cars, and they said, we still got two hours more to go. <laughs> These are desperate times, isn't it? We have long queues. Most of us are familiar with those long queues, endless waiting times. Tens and thousands of people spending hours outside those testing clinics. And some of them Christmas time. What a tragic time to be in, in the queue, in the spending your Christmas holidays with family and friends. And some of them, the news shows some of them are sleeping in their cars when they're lining up. There's one person who was at there from 3 a.m. in the line. And to top it off, the delay in test results. And then came the rapid testing kits. Off from the shelf they went. People were desperately trying to get hold of one of these boxes. And Queensland government has, has admitted to the major shortages of these kits. So this has been the story of Christmas. Long queues. In all these things, there's the desperateness. Long waiting times and desperateness. So this morning, we're going to look at this woman who, in the story, came to Jesus in desperation. And as uh, the scripture was read to us this morning, she came to Jesus in one of the most difficult circumstances, and she was determined. This lady was determined to get what she wanted. So there was a long waiting time in her life too for this kind of miracle that she wanted. This context this morning is um, taken from this uh, story that we looked at last Sunday. Story of Jairus, whose daughter was dying. And Jairus comes to Jesus, asking him to come, please. He begged Jesus. And as Jesus turns around to go with Jairus, there's an interruption. And this is the story that we pick up this morning. What happened during that interruption? So this story is sandwiched between another story. And Mark does that deliberately in his writing. He wants us to compare these two healings. So he sandwiches one story behind the other. Like if you look at Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes over the other side of the lake and there's a man with the army of demons in him who comes running to Jesus, falls at his feet, and Jesus sets him free. So he could have done that one story after the other. But here, he sandwiches the story of this woman within another story. So there's th th this encounter with Jesus that we see is Jairus, a, a well-to-do influential person. And then there's this woman with a horrible illness for 12 years. Jairus' daughter, 12 years old. And this woman, with this horrible illness, was waiting for 12 years for a healing. 
And so with, there, there we pick up a few facts about this story as Mark really kind of urges on to compare what's been happening. 12 years, 12 years. Very interesting thing to start off. The two stories illustrate the power of Jesus, both over chronic illness and death. In each of the healing, Jesus shows his generosity by giving the receivers life and salvation in addition to physical healing. The little girl is of 12 years old, and the other woman suffered for 12 years. Both are called daughters, and both needed healing. The girl's father is encouraged to have faith, and the woman is praised for our faith. The woman was poor, and Jairus, probably very wealthy, he could afford hired mourners to mourn for the death of his daughter, so probably wealthy. This woman had no status, whereas Jairus had status. He was an elected man in the community. Jairus comes openly to Jesus while this woman sneaks up from behind. The unknown woman is healed in full view of everyone while Jairus' daughter is healed in a bedroom with only few people witnessing it. Look at the contrast in the story. And both miracles involved touch, an act of touch, which would have made Jesus unclean. And yet Jesus does that. As a rabbi in Jewish tradition, a rabbi would never touch a dead person or chronically ill person. And in this, both these cases, Jesus does just that. He gets hold of the little girl's hand and calls her back to life. And here's a story this morning that we will pick up and see what goes on. So in our story, Jesus calls us to have faith in him and calls us to a personal relationship. And that's the whole gist of the story. He calls us to have faith in him. He calls us to have a personal relationship with him. And as a Christian, we all need to do that. Put our trust in Jesus and have a personal relationship with him. This woman's background. One of the greatest social challenges that's facing our nation today is the rising health cost. As health care costs increase, the number of people who are able to afford health insurance is decreasing. This combination of economic factors is a recipe for anxiety. Imagine what it must have been like in Jesus' time when there was no health insurance and the practice of medicine was more on superstition than science. Due to the horrible health condition, she was considered an outcast. And she comes up in secret, making her way to Jesus, knowing maybe somehow she could find a cure for this long period of horrible illness. She comes sneaking up behind. Why does she do that? Firstly, it was a common attitude in those times that people were terminally ill. People who had prolonged illness was a result of some serious sin in their life. We find another person who comes to Jesus too. When Jesus heals him, people ask him, it's, a, it's, it's because of his sin that he's been sick. So Jesus heals him. 
And then they say it was because of the uh, sin of his parents. So there's a common attitude during Jesus' time. If someone had illness, it's because of, the se- of a serious sin in life. Or not enough faith. So people lived in guilt. Secondly, this woman was an outcast. She was not allowed to come into the temple to worship just like the other people were worshipping. She was not allowed to touch another person. She was living in isolation, felt cut off from God and from her own people. And if she was caught in public places, she would be stoned to death. Talk about isolation. And we hear stories today, people are isolating themselves. This was nothing like that. She was thrown out of the society. She lived outside the city. And she wouldn't dare to come inside. Thirdly, this woman was bankrupt. Mark tells us that she spent all her money on medical bills with no relief. She spent her entire family fortune in, in, in attempting to find a cure for her illness. But nothing happened. She was bankrupt. And lastly, the status of this woman was of a shame. In the shame culture, if you can remember when we did those day, uh, times of uh, uh, cultural background, shame culture, prolonged illness, in this case hemorrhaging for 12 years, she was unclean and untouchable. And here was a wo- woman who was feeling ashamed, embarrassed, unworthy to come to Jesus. Unworthy to come into the city. And with all this guilt and shame, she makes her way to Jesus. It's a fascinating story. It was not easy for this woman to come to Jesus. Unlike Jairus, and with all his troops, with his elite troops, he would come to Jesus openly. But this woman, it was a different circumstances. It was difficult. It was tough for her to come and see Jesus. And in those days, there was no such thing as dodgy doctors who could be reported to current affairs. So they struggled. So in shame and terror and in pain, she comes secretly making her way to Jesus. And it was a daring plan. She hashed up a plan. She heard about Jesus and she uh, 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 hashed up a daring plan. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Look at this verse. When she heard about Jesus, I wonder who told her about Jesus. She was outside the city. Someone told her about Jesus. There is hope, friends, when people hear about Jesus. There is hope. Okay, she convinces herself that if she touches Jesus' clothes, she will be healed. Now in the Old Testament times, women who were unclean were not allowed to touch anyone let alone a rabbi, because whoever she touches will become unclean. This woman was taking great risk by approaching Jesus in that crowd because she was breaking all kinds of social laws in the society. She was not permitted to move about in the crowds. And if she had been recognized, she would have been subject to public humiliation and ridicule and possibly death by stoning. So she was an untouchable, an outcast. 
what a situation of this woman. Now, in our Western society, friends, it is, it is unthinkable to, to look at a, a, a person like this. We can't just imagine who an outcast is or untouchable is. I come from a country, India, has got 140 billionaires, which has put the country third in the world after the United States and China. And the stark contrast to that is the untouchable. Now, if you Google up, put untouchable, caste system in India, it never comes up. You've got to really dig into the thing to find out what's it. National Geography, uh, National Geographic Society reported there's 160 million untouchable caste groups in India. 160 million of untouchables in India. Now, when it say untouchable, here's a woman who collects her food or, or cleans the rubbish with the pigs and dogs. I've seen a man who fought with pigs and dogs for a single slice of bread. They're not welcomed in the city. If they open a tap and take a glass of water to drink, that tap becomes polluted. I don't know how, but it does. And no one drinks from the tap because an untouchable has used the tap. This woman was in a situation like that. Untouchable. Whoever she, whoever she touches would become unclean. So this was a daring plan. And does she take the risk? She does. 27 to 29. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, Jesus makes no judgment about how she approached him. We don't find Jesus criticizing this woman for the way she approached him. Jairus approached Jesus directly, whereas this woman sneaks in from behind and touches Jesus. And the Bible says she's healed immediately and decides to go away quietly. All that this woman wanted was healing. And it's, and it's very interesting in Luke's gospel. By the way, this story is mentioned in uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three gospels. Matthew tells us that this lady kept saying within herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be healed. If I can only touch his garment, I will be healed. We remember her situation, friends. An outcast. She's making her way into the city, unnoticed. She's now making her way into the crowd. Now, there was a big crowd around Jesus. She's pushing her way into the crowd, knowing if someone spotted and recognized her, knowing that she was unclean, that's the end. She makes her way within, and as she comes through the crowd, she says, if I can only touch Jesus, if I can only touch his clothes, I will be healed. She does that. Gets a healing, and she wanted to go away quietly, lead her own life. The story intensifies. What does Jesus do? He does something very strange. Jesus stops around and asks the crowd, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? Now, Jesus knew. Jesus knew who touched his clothes. He knew this woman, too. But he gets very personal. 
Disciples were surprised and stunned at Jesus' question, saying, who touched me? Now, Luke is more dramatic in his writing. He even names the person who asked this question, and that was Peter. Was it some kind of a rhetorical question? Who touched you? Are you serious, Jesus, really? Who touched you? Why are you asking this kind of a question? Look around you, Jesus. Everyone is touching you, and we are like packed sardines in this place. We look at the crowd around you, and yet you ask who touched you. It was like one of our local trains in Brisbane, peak hour, when trains are canceled, when two, two trains are packed in one. Now, this, you, you think this is crowded. Packed like sardines. Peter looks around, and everyone is touching. And he tells Jesus, why are you asking this question, who touched you? How do we know who touched you? There's a huge difference between bumping into Jesus and reaching out in faith to touch Jesus. Big difference. Verse 32 and 33. But Jesus kept looking around to see who done it. And then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Just when this woman thought, that she had pulled off a daring plan. She hears Jesus asking, who touched me? And she knew. She was caught out. And that phrase, when Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, it's like Jesus fanning across the crowd. And he knew exactly where this woman was. He could have seen at her and called her up, but he kept looking around. This woman knew she was caught out. And maybe she thought that Jesus was going to throw her under a bus now. Maybe he was going to rebuke her for coming into the crowd, for coming into the city and touching a rabbi. She thought she was caught up for an unclean thing that she did, touching this amazing, famous teacher. Perhaps now he's going to humiliate her in front of the crowd, or charge her for money, for draining the power out of Jesus. So with fear and trembling, she came and fell at Jesus' feet. Can't Jesus let her go away quietly? Won't, she, won't Jesus allow her to mind her own business and let her go? She got a healing. What more she wants? Let her go. Why did he stop her and say, who touched me? He wanted to know who had done this. Jesus called her out so that she would, she would know absolutely that, the, that, that she was healed both emotionally and socially. She was healed physically, emotionally, socially. Jesus did so, so the others would know that she was healed. Jesus did so that she would know why she was healed. Jesus did so that Jairus here who was waiting, waiting and he hears the news of the death of his own daughter is now waiting to see the situation of this own woman. Maybe that would encourage his own situation. Jesus did it because he wanted to bless her in a special way and he calls her daughter. Now I'll come to the implications of this word daughter in this situation. Jesus reverses the role of an outcast, 
isolated, untouchable woman in the middle of the crowd. He calls her up in the front. Something was about to happen. So this woman comes with trembling and fear. She's shaking. She comes to Jesus and tells him the whole truth. He didn't ask for it, but she tells him the whole truth. She confesses her sin. She confesses what she had done. Something about was about to happen. Verse 34. And I think this is the climax of the whole story. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What a weight of the statement. Jesus says something that is very, very, very personal. He changes the status, the position, the social standing of this woman, this nameless, this unwanted woman in the society. The first word that this woman hears is, daughter. Wow. The first word is daughter. Not accusations. Not demanding. Not as she thought that Jesus was going to accuse him. But the first word she hears is daughter. A personal relationship. This woman who had been marginalized by her friends and forsaken by her family was now called daughter by Jesus, the Son of God. The word daughter wasn't just a nice thing to say to cheer up this frightened woman. Friends, it literally meant an actual descendant of the daughter of God. It was actually saying, you are my daughter. And imagine that this untouchable woman, socially outcast, now hears this rabbi calling her daughter, making her his own daughter. He adopts her into the family of God. From an unknown, unnamed, untouchable outcast is now called daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. This woman had not heard this tender word from any man in more than 12 years. 12 years. She was jeered upon, shunned by crowds. And here was for the first time in 12 years. She's listening to those tender words. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus took away this woman's shame and replaced it with honor. Go in peace, he said. Your faith has healed you. What kind of faith is Jesus talking about? The phrase here, your faith has healed you, comes from the Greek word sozo, meaning life. Your faith has saved you. He wanted the woman to know that it was a faith that had brought her to Jesus. She knew somebody had told her about Jesus, so she decided to come by faith to Jesus. That brought about her healing in her afflicted body. Her faith was not a magical or superstitious faith. Maybe if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That is superstitious. That's magical faith. That's not the faith that she came to Jesus with. It was a saving faith based on the personal relationship with Jesus. And that's why Jesus calls her daughter. Daughter, be healed. It was personal aspect of this faith 
is further seen in the last statement of Jesus in the story. He said to her, go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. It is not just a casual goodbye, rather something deep. It carries an extra weight of the context of what was happening. And this is what Jesus does when he says to her, go in peace and be freed. Jesus uses the word peace, which carries an idea of the Hebrew word shalom. Meaning spiritual wholeness. Not just received your healing, but there is more that went on. There is more that she found healing in, a, a wholeness in her body. By placing her faith in Jesus, this woman was healed, restored physically, spiritually, emotionally. She found peace with God. She found peace with God. It is because of her trust in Jesus we have this peace. This world is longing for peace, friends. This world wants peace. They're struggling for, to find peace. And the Bible says in Isaiah, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast because they trust in you. Because we trust in you. Friends, this season, as we start this new year, already second Sunday in this new year, let's keep our mind steadfast, trusting in Him. He will keep us in perfect peace. No matter what's happening around us, no matter what's happening in our lives, this verse says, you, God, will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because we trust Him. Do we trust Him this morning? No matter what's happening around us, what's happening in us, let us trust in God because He, and when we do that, there's perfect peace. His peace. And this is what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We looked at this fascinating story for, for, this, for last Sunday and this Sunday of Jairus coming to Jesus and afraid. And Jesus looks at him and said, don't be afraid. And Jesus goes with him. Don't be afraid. Trust God. And here in this woman's case, don't be afraid. Trust God. Changes her whole situation. Changes her whole start, st status in society. Now this woman, can you imagine what she would go back the next day? She would walk in the society, her, her head held up high because she's been restored. Her life has been transformed. And here is a rabbi who calls her daughter. Jesus told her, go in peace. She went away a transformed person. Jesus' words offered her complete restoration. He calls her daughter. This morning, he calls us his sons and daughters to all those who call upon his name. He gives us the right to call us his sons and daughters. And friends, when we come to Jesus, he takes our shame. He takes our pain. He takes the sufferings that we're going through. He knows what's happening to us. He will change us emotionally, socially, not just physically. Emotionally and socially, he changes our status. Let's come to Jesus, knowing this is what he can do for us in our lives. Fascinating stories that Mark writes in this chapter.
that people come to Jesus knowing that nothing is too hard for him when we come to him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning in childlike faith. Help us, Lord, to respond to you. Even now, as we deal with our own self before you, God, your word says, where two or three are gathered, I'm there in your midst. You are here with us in our, in our midst. Your presence is here. You know our lives. Lord, we lay ourselves before you. We surrender ourselves before you. You know our hearts, you know our thoughts. Do a deep work in our lives, Father. And your word says, just before you said, my peace I give unto you. You said, Lord, that you, you, we have the advocate, the Holy Spirit who is with us. Help us even now, even now as we're sitting here, in midst of whatever we're going through, that we would find his peace that he gives us. We come to you this morning, Father. Forgive us. And as we reach out to touch you, we trust in you. And help us this year, Lord, strengthen us in our walk with you. And help us to experience that peace every day as we continue to trust in you. Be with those, Lord, who are watching online this morning very homes Lord we know that there's no barrier with you pray Lord as people are reaching out to touch you Lord touch us Lord touch us this morning touch us again Help us to cast all our anxieties, cares and worries on you, knowing that you care for us. Help us, oh God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. But when we come to you, we can walk away knowing that you've healed us, not just physically, spiritually, socially. And Lord, that we can continue to trust in you and walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.